Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower, and it feels like at least for the first time in a long time, we have a lot of basketball to talk about this week. So we've got we've had two games since we've last recorded. We've had a new game added, a top 25 game added since our last episode, because it wouldn't be an episode of Chasing Perfection without schedule and news dropping the day that the podcast goes out. So we've got that to talk about. So first, let's just get in right into the Tennessee game, because obviously that was the biggest game of the season, as we talked about going in. And really, it lived up to its hype. I think it might have even outperformed the hype that we had for it, because if we go back and listen to last week's podcast, I don't think we were really expecting Tennessee to put up much of a fight. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I thought it would be a decent game, but I, I didn't think that UConn was going to struggle so much as they did, and I didn't expect it to be as close as it was. It really, I mean, came down to kind of that big shot from Paige at the end that was able to seal it, but UConn, I think, was down at the end of the third quarter still and kind of fought back there in the fourth. But offensively, they just struggled a lot in that game, which I think we thought was a possibility, right? Tennessee size, something that I haven't seen so far this year we kind of looked to see like what Olivia was going to do. She didn't have a great game. So I think some of the issues we thought could be there were there, but I still don't think even with those issues, we expected it to be as close as it was. Right. And I think just from the opening tip off, even through the end of the game, my overwhelming take was that, you know how just some games feel weird and they feel like they have this very weird vibe around them. Like both of UConn's final four losses immediately after Brianna Stewart. So Mississippi State in the first Notre Dame game, those games both had very weird vibes around them. Whereas I don't really think the last one against Notre Dame did. This game just had a very strange feeling to it from the start. And I don't know if maybe it was just UConn playing back on the orange court at Tennessee or there being fans in the stands for some ungodly reason (laughs) or that just Olivia Nelson Adota and Aubrey Griffin decided they were going to try and be Steph Curry and Clay Thompson all of a sudden and just launch threes <laughs> like there is no tomorrow. It just the entire game felt really weird. And even looking back on it, it just feels so strange. And I don't think that's a very good way to explain it. And I don't know if I have a better way to make it more clear, but did you get that sense or is that just me not having watched a ton of close games recently? No, it felt weird, too. I think just like you said from the beginning, like Olivia Nelson-Odona comes out and takes a three, and you're just like, that can't have been what like the game plan was here. And then she kept taking them, too. So you're just like, what is going on? I don't know. Like, I thought when I know, she first came out and started taking threes, I was like, all right, the size is freaking them out a little bit. They just need to settle it. And then it just kept happening. And like you said, yeah, she takes a lot of threes. Aubrey Griffin takes a lot of threes. The offense just looked out of sorts for the whole game. It was just a weird game. Well, initially when she starts taking some threes, I'm skeptical. Like, obviously I don't think that's their like go-to move, but I wondered if maybe it was a wrinkle in the offense, kind of like I thought to last year's game against South Carolina, where Leah Boston hadn't shot at all from anywhere outside the paint pretty much all season. And then she just starts hucking up threes and making them. I thought maybe UConn could have put something in like that but then they continued taking them and they continued 
missing them, which is what didn't make sense. And it got to a point where it's like, okay, there's absolutely no way Gino put this in the game plan because it's so bizarre and it's not working. And what he did explain after the game was that he told his bigs that they would have chances to shoot those deep shots because Tennessee was probably going to sag off them. He just didn't expect them to only do that. And as he said, ignore the other three things that I said to go along with that. So I think it was really just the players kind of misinterpreting what Gino said. And I think we saw pretty quickly in that second quarter, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think UConn took 11 threes in that first quarter. And then they took either only one or two in the second. So it was clearly a concerted effort to get the ball inside more after those first 10 minutes. And I think you could see the difference on offense when they started working to get inside closer, even if the shots weren't falling. I mean, the entire night was a grinded out tooth pulling affair on offense, but I think there were times where they started to get better looks and most of their offense at least in the first half was coming from them getting inside and even not necessarily getting to the paint, but at least going for more mid range jumpers instead of just launching every single shot from three. Yeah, I agree. I thought they took way too many three pointers in the first quarter. It was just like, we know that this team's strength is not shooting from deep. So that doesn't seem like the right game plan. Um, And then, yeah, like you said, they went inside more from there and, you know, the shots didn't always fall. I think they had trouble just getting shots to fall all night, but at least in the second quarter and kind of the second half too, those shots looked like a lot better opportunities for them. At least it wasn't chucking something up for three or a contested three point shot. It was some, some creating something inside and moving the ball around and getting to a spot with the types of shots that they usually want to be taking. And they just didn't fall. Right. So kind of in that thread, you get to the second half and, UConn really doesn't play a great third quarter at all. And they kind of struggle. It's pretty much all Kristen Williams and Aubrey Griffin. And then Aubrey Griffin picks up two fouls within, I don't even think it was 30 seconds. I think it was like 10 seconds of each other. And she lands on the bench with four fouls. And then it, it is pretty much Kristen Williams carrying that torch. And we have talked at length on this podcast about how we haven't seen Kristen Williams really take that next step yet yet in her game and how Paige Beckers looks like she wants to be the lead scorer on this team. And Kristen hasn't looked like that. And I think more than any game that we've seen so far in her career, all to this point, that game on Thursday was in my opinion, her best game of her career, not necessarily in a sense of the total points, because obviously that's Notre Dame or even anything to do with her stat line, but you could tell that she knew that she needed to carry the load on offense and that she was determined to do it. And she just had as many great plays as everyone else combined in that game. And really is the reason that UConn, I think even had a shot going into the fourth quarter there. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with that. I think, you know, her shots didn't always fall, but the way she was taken to the basket, there was definitely just a more aggressive look to her offense. I think we saw a little bit of that in the Butler game before, and then, more of it there in that Tennessee game. It's definitely her best game so far this season. Just the way she looked on the floor, she looked like she wanted to take over the game. And I think that's what we've been harping on that we want to see from Kristen Williams. And we finally saw that on Thursday. Right. Because that, in my mind, that's what stuck out really the most as a large, a big picture takeaway from the game, as opposed to, as we'll get to in a little bit, like Paige's shot or Avina's comeback to Knoxville it's just 
it's been such a long road for her and there's been so many ups and downs and I feel like the highs haven't particularly been higher. Maybe it's just been my perspective of what her highs are, but she's just got so much talent. And I've always said that she has some of the most talent that I've seen of any player at UConn since I've covered the team, which started Brianna Stewart's last year. Obviously that team doesn't count there in its own category, but <laughs> in those years after Brianna Stewart, I think she just has the most raw talent of anyone that I've seen. And that's not to knock anyone else. It's just, I think that's more of a credit to Kristen and yeah, that, in a nutshell was the exact type of game that I personally was looking for her to have just in the sense that she had that weight on her shoulders and she embraced it. And just the way that she went, she just had a different look in her eye. And I don't think there's any way to quantify it or try and explain it more in depth than she just had a different look in her eye than we've ever seen her have. Yeah, exactly. I don't think, you know, it doesn't really come through on the box score. It doesn't, you just kind of see it when she's playing and the way that she just seems to turn on to a different gear. And you saw that on Thursday. And I think it's what a lot of what this team needs is her to be playing at that level consistently. So we'll see if we continue to see it. But I think that was definitely just present in her game on Thursday. For sure. And then I think going into that fourth quarter, I mean, UConn had trailed at the end of every single quarter. But as Gino said, they just hung around. They were still there. They didn't play well, really, in any facet of the game. They It was probably their worst performance of the season in pretty much any category you want to look at, especially considering the opponent and the stakes of the game. But they slowly start to come back in that fourth quarter, and I just think it's a very good sign for this team that they were capable of pushing through those first three quarters and not playing well, but not panicking and being able to make that comeback because those first two years after Brianna Stewart left, anytime the game got even close, like it couldn't, it didn't even have to be a single possession game. It could have just been single digits. You could immediately see the panic in those teams' eyes. And we saw that come out very clearly against Tulane where they really just they didn't beat Tulane. They just hung on for their lives against Tulane and Tulane didn't beat them. Or then Mississippi State, they just get punched in the mouth from the start and they did claw their way back, but they couldn't get over the hump in that game. It was just, they were continuously trying to get back in. And the same thing the next year against Notre Dame, whereas this game, they go into that fourth quarter, they're, they're trailing, but they just continue playing their game and it really just comes down to that final quarter where UConn's making the plays that they need to. And Tennessee's not, they're getting stops defensively. Avina Westbrook is hitting some huge threes that are swinging the momentum. And I don't really care what anyone says. I don't know what Tennessee might've said about Avina Westbrook coming into this game, but regardless, you could tell at least on Avina's end that there were still hard feelings from her time at Tennessee. And I can't imagine if she said that she hadn't, talked to anyone or didn't have any friends still on the team that they felt amicable about her about her going to UConn so I think those threes that she hit in that fourth quarter really swung the possession swung the momentum I'm sorry and that's kind of when I felt like UConn was in the driver's seat for the first time in the entire game yeah, I mean, her three-pointers in the second or the fourth quarter were huge. It did kind of really swing the momentum. But I think the biggest thing that I noticed from Mbita Westbrook in this game was just how, like, locked in her defense was basically the entire time. I thought that, I mean, doesn't necessarily come through on the box score, but I thought that made a big difference in the 
than them hanging in it. I mean, Kristen Williams was making the difference on offense and them hanging into this game, but Avina Westbrook made a huge difference on the defensive end and keeping them in it. And then you, she steps up on offense in that fourth quarter and really pushes them kind of over the hump to get the win. And I had a friend text me after the game. I was like, that feels like the type of game that they lost, they lose last season or two seasons ago. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like it feels like we haven't really seen them be able to come back in that fourth quarter type environment before. And we saw them do that. I think that's the type of game that they lose every single year since Brianna Stewart left. I, I mm-hmm. think none of those teams ever really proved that they could win close games. And I guess, I mean, I kind of asked this after in a different sense, but like how many games has UConn even played that they've won that have really come down to the wire and they've pulled out in the last maybe minute or minute or two, like last year, all those top games that they played, those were all losses or that DePaul game where DePaul came storming back in the second half, UConn still really kind of held a, I guess, comfortable lead. I don't think that one ever got to single or a single possession and UConn eventually pulled away in the last couple of minutes, even that Louisville game in the elite eight, Katie Lou Samuelson hit that and one shot with four minutes left. That's a very, very long amount of time. And that was like the moment, at least that I remembered that like, that's the game. You, UConn's got this in the bag. That's with four minutes left. So there were times where it was a close game for maybe 30, 35 minutes, but UConn would pull away at the end or the other team would pull away at the end. Like we saw against South Carolina or Baylor last year, but there was never really that back and forth. One play is going to win it at the end of the game. I can't even think of the last time there was a game like that, that UConn won. So I think, yeah, it, it is very impressive that they were not only able to make that comeback, but they were able to just stay with it throughout the entire fourth quarter. And even when Tennessee got close, nobody panicked. Yeah. I think the composure of the team, like through that game, they didn't look panicked. Like I think the last few years, if that after that first quarter or second quarter, third quarter, when they're down, they're going to look panicked. And this team just didn't look panicked. They looked calm the whole time. I mean, Paige wasn't hitting shots, but she kept taking shots. And I think given how young this team is, it's especially impressive that they were able to kind of keep their composure and just keep grinding it out to get the win. Right. And I think we've been putting it off long enough, but Paige, Just the classic example of you can eliminate an entire bad performance by hitting one shot that like, I just can't think of a shot that was that impactful in a single game in a long, long time. And Avina said it after the game, but the second she released that out of your hand, you just thought like, there's no way she's missing this. Like she just had all the confidence in the world from the second that she started to catch that ball, that she was going to drain it, no matter if she was on one leg, no matter if the shot clock was winding down. And if for some reason, UConn doesn't make that shot or Kristen Williams ends up traveling earlier in that play. I feel pretty good that Tennessee would have gone down the other end of the court. And if they didn't tie the game, they were going to go ahead and UConn was going to be an even worse spot. So the fact that she could just hit that shot in such a huge spot as a freshman, like 10 games into her career. It's not like she's even in a normal January where they already would have played 20 or something. She's 10 games into her career on a bad ankle, just even from someone like who covers the team. And I don't think of myself as a fan, just, it's just such an unbelievable moment to see. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those, 
big time highlights that UConn's going to throw in their opening videos and people are going to be talking about for a long time. And I think like we kind of talked about before, when's the last time we had one of those moments from UConn? It's been a while. Like they haven't had to fight. They haven't had a game where they've won it, where they've had to have this big play to do it. So I think, you know, as a fan, but also just as like watching this team, it was exciting to have someone kind of put up that kind of play, the type of play that, you know, gets on sports center and that type of thing. I think we don't necessarily see that from UConn that often because they don't have to, but it was just kind of one of those real big time shots. Right. And I mean, if it wasn't abundantly clear from everything else we've seen from her, I think it really just showed that Paige Beckers is just on a different level than any freshman that we've seen here in a long, long time just because of that confidence and that unflappability that she can take that shot and she doesn't even blink that she's like, I don't even think it was a possibility in her mind that she wasn't going to make that shot. And unfortunately we weren't able to talk to her after that game because of her ankle injury, but she's just, when, when she first came on campus and Gino talked about her, the way he described her was she's extremely confident without having any ego. And it was kind of difficult to figure out what that meant. But I think that shot kind of just sums up that description of her perfectly well, because it wasn't like she did anything flashy on that play or she overly celebrated after the player did anything like that. She just got the shot, she hit it. And then she let out a normal reaction of a scream to celebrate it. It was just the essence of extreme confidence without the cockiness that sometimes a lot of times goes with it. Yeah, exactly. And like the confidence to take that shot after being, you know, what, two for 13 on the night or something like that, going into that play, she like kind of had a good night at all. She's on one ankle and she's still able to take and knock down that shot. But like you said, there's no over the top reaction or anything. It's a normal reaction. She keeps on, goes back, plays defense. Um, and, you know, everyone after the game was talking about Avita and stuff. So it's just the, the confidence, like you said, the confidence. But it, she never comes off arrogant, no matter when you talk to her, how good of a game she has, how much nice things Gino has to say about her. She never comes off arrogant. Also, it made me think of this. And if you've listened to the show before, if you've listened to the last 10 minutes, you know that I love comparing things to previous years. That game reminded me a lot of that second Notre Dame Final Four in 2019, I think it was, the one in Tampa where UConn went ahead. I don't remember the exact number. It was either seven or nine with a couple minutes to go. And I literally, in the arena, started writing. I I started putting in the headline of UConn takes down Notre Dame to advance to national championship. (laughs) And I started setting up my story. And then suddenly Notre Dame starts making this comeback and hitting shots. And I did the classic highlight everything and hit the delete button to start over. And UConn just couldn't hit a shot in those last moments. They just, no one could step up and make the shot they needed to stop that Notre Dame run and it cost them their season. And for all as good as Nafisa Collier and Katie Lou Samuelson and Gabby Williams and Kia Nurse were, and Crystal Dangerfield too, were in those post Brianna Stewart years, the talk was always that they never had a go-to scorer. And I think by hitting that shot, it's very clear that Paige not only is willing to, or she's not only capable of taking those late game shots when UConn needs a basket, she's willing to take it too, which I think is arguably even more important than the first part. So I think the fact that when UConn needs a bucket at the end of games or 
any time in a game, Paige Beckers is going to be able to want to deliver that. And it's been a long time since they've had someone that they can point to that can do that. Yeah, exactly. I agree. It's been a long time since they were doing that. I mean, Nafisa was so good, but she just still wasn't that kind of like late game. If we're going to get a bucket, we're going to go inside to Nafisa. Um, but Paige, she's 10, 10 games into her freshman season. It has clearly already demonstrated that she's willing and able to do that, which I think is just a big thing for this team. If they get into, you know, late game situations and some of these other games they have coming up or come March, they know who they're pointing to. I also feel like it's just so much easier for a guard to be the one that takes those big shots because you can be the greatest center in the world. Like you can be the combination of Rebecca Lobo, Tina Charles, Stephanie Dolson, and Brianna Stewart. And even if you can get the ball inside, other teams can still quintuple team you and you're not going to be able to get a shot up just by nature of playing in the post. I just think it's a lot easier for a guard to create their own shot or to move around the court and take a shot from a lot of different spots on the court. So maybe that's just my bias having watched like UConn men's basketball teams that had people like Kemba Walker and Shabazz Napier and Jalen Adams and Christian Vital taking these late game shots who are all guards, obviously, but I, I still just think there's more of a versatility in a guard's offensive game to be able to generate that tough shot as opposed to a big that might be, I don't want to say restricted in the post, but they just have fewer options in what the defense might throw at them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a guard's got just, they still also have so much more space on the court to work with where you've got like all the space where inside, if you're just working with the post, it's not a lot of space to move around in. So yeah, you get triple teamed underneath the basket. It doesn't leave you with a lot of options. Whereas, guard you've got a couple defenders pass off you can you know move around there's just a lot more space to work with there you know I saw this decent amount post game on Twitter about after that game it was just a fantastic game I don't think there's any denying how great of a basketball game it was but I also don't think it means anything about what the UConn Tennessee rivalry might be or the future of it I think the two teams can play a good game, a good competitive game that definitely had had an edge to it. I don't really think that means the rivalry is back or anything just because it's such a different thing. When UConn and Tennessee were at their height, they were the two best teams in college basketball pretty much every single time. And they were a lot of times playing for a national championship. So they were truly playing for supremacy in the sport. Whereas, yeah, it's a good game and it's a competitive game. But if UConn loses that game, I think the narrative is more Tennessee upsets UConn or UConn drops one of its lowest ranked games in years, more so than Tennessee is now on top. The way also kind of UConn Notre Dame worked for a while or even UConn Baylor these past few years. It's just, to me, that along with Pat Summit no longer being the coach there, that just takes out so much of an element of the rivalry. But I think I've also kind of come around. I think it would be good to continue scheduling the game just because even if it, even if personally, I don't think it has the level of excitement that it used to be, or it doesn't have the same buzz that it used to have. I think we've seen that women's basketball doesn't get the coverage it deserves, 
So maybe the coverage is a little Yukon centric, which I think is very fair, or at least East Coast centric. And maybe even if the Tennessee Yukon storyline might get a little overblown every single time it happens. I mean, I turned on the TV and watched Sports Center the next day, and like the second highlights that they ran to were Yukon, Tennessee of all sports. That was the second thing that they showed on Sports Center. And I can't even tell you someone like I just will throw on sports center every morning when I get up, they almost never have women's basketball highlights on very, very rarely. So even if it's not the perfect situation, I do think the fact that UConn Tennessee still brings attention to women's basketball and still gets the sport on sports center and elevates it. Even if it doesn't fix every single problem out there with the sport and the coverage that comes along with it, I think the benefits far outweigh any of the negatives that come along. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, especially that shot from Paige got a ton of national attention from outlets that don't typically cover women's basketball. And I think that's really important to see. And I think the fact that it was Tennessee, even though it's not what it used to be, it has something to do with that. Like, I think she hits that shot and they're playing like Arkansas this week that it's it's not making all this national news, but because it's Tennessee, it brings that coverage and, I mean, yes, it's a people will say that like kind of the, those outlets focus too much on UConn, but I would argue the bigger problem was the fact that they just don't cover women's basketball in general much at all. So if it's you know a highlight of a UConn player versus no women's highlights, I think it's still better to have something on there and to help grow the coverage of the game. So I think you know Sports Center was on Sports Illustrated, it was on Bleacher Report. There was a lot of kind of really big outlets with huge followings that brought something from covered something from this game which is positive to see right I mean I I don't think there's any chance that Paige Becker's shot ends up on the highlights if you just take out Tennessee and UConn freshman hits game clinching shot against number 25 team in the country like that's a very unexciting headline just to a casual fan but I I feel like as long as someone's aware of college basketball and the rivalry like UConn Tennessee will still have meaning even if it's not the same and I think that is important and yeah to your point that UConn gets a lot of coverage if you look at any of the major sports I mean you look at the NBA LeBron the Warriors and right now the Nets they get pretty much all the coverage the NFL we saw plenty of it this weekend it's all about I mean, it helps that both these two teams are going to the Super Bowl, but it's all about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and it's all about Tom Brady. But even still, it was all about Aaron Rodgers, too. The coverage of these sports is always going to be centered around the stars. And especially in a sport like college basketball, Gino is the star because Gino's the consistent there. He's always going to be the one that gives the good sound bite or is entertaining on the sideline, and his teams are always going to be good it shouldn't be an issue that UConn's getting too much coverage. The, the bigger problem is that everybody else should be getting more coverage because it's, it shouldn't be a zero sum game where just because UConn's getting all this coverage means you need to reduce the amount that you're giving to UConn to funnel it to other people. I mean, like just to point out, there's <laughs> insult anyone by, picking out a number but let's just say there's like eight outlets that cover UConn women's basketball like are at every single availability for post-game pre-game everything those are all local 
outlets. Like, it's not like we at the UConn blog are just going to pick up and start covering, like, I don't know, Arkansas women's basketball for UConn's next opponent here. It's the emphasis needs to be more on the national people covering things at a wider scope, which I think someone like Michelle Vopel at ESPN does a very, very good job of. And also needs to be the local outlets around these women's basketball programs that deserve more attention need to do a better job of covering them too. Yeah, exactly. And I do think Michelle does a good job, but I think, you know, she's one person, which is the ESPN's coverage is primarily run by one person and that's a lot right. to put on one person. But um, yeah. And then and I think what people really get frustrated with is like the big national type outlets, like your main, not your ESPN W accounts, but your m- mainstream ESPN account and your bleacher reports of the world and stuff. And I don't know. I agree with you there. I think the argument is just that they don't cover women's basketball enough. It's not that there's too much UConn coverage because there's just not enough women's basketball coverage period so it's not taking away from the UConn coverage or the page coverage it's adding more to everything that's out put out there covering other players but not at the expense of what's being covered from UConn but just adding more in general just to bring it back to the original point I think that's how my view of this UConn Tennessee rivalry has changed because I feel like it's important in that sense especially now that you have this void where I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and things will be different, but I don't feel like UConn, Tennessee ever, or I'm sorry, UConn, Notre Dame ever necessarily got the same buzz nationally the way UConn, Tennessee did. Like there was just, it was two very good teams going at it. And I think the game mattered a ton to both fan bases and the general women's college basketball world looked on the game because it was usually the two best teams going at it. But I don't know how much that game ever really registered on a national level in terms of like, like you said, those ESPN accounts or Bleacher Report or Slam Magazine, how much like you'd see it register across those places, unless I'm off base. What do you think? No, I agree. I think, you know, the, the women's angles of all of those channels do a really good job of kind of highlighting a lot of players and would have highlighted that game, but like, I don't think otherwise registers on kind of any of those you know the main branded channels right so with Notre Dame and tennis or in UConn ending with Muffet McGraw retiring even though the series will continue that it I think is why it would be good for the series to continue though I, I think it might be better to be an every other year type of thing or something along those lines I think it would be interesting I think a lot of it just depends on where Kelly Harper takes that Tennessee program, where UConn goes. I think as long as the games continue to be competitive, then it's good to continue playing them every year. But if UConn's going to win every game by 15, 20 points, then maybe reserve that for every year, every two years, or every two years, every three years, some longer cycle, just so the excitement around it doesn't burn out with it just being blowout after blowout. Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. We're going to take a quick break for ads and be right back. And we're back. So unfortunately, a couple bad things did come out of that Tennessee game. Specifically, Paige Beckers twists her ankle with not much time to go in the fourth quarter, has to come out, gets taped underneath the sideline. I mean, she did stay in for a few possessions afterwards, but you could tell how much it was bothering her because she was pretty much glued to a spot on the floor and it took a ton of effort for her to even move around a little bit. She was clearly in a lot of pain, goes out, gets her ankle taped up, eventually comes in and hits that big shot, but then misses the game against Georgetown on Saturday. 
Gino hasn't given a definitive answer about what she'll whether or not she'll play against Arkansas on Thursday, though. He did say it's more likely she will play than she won't, but it's definitely not a good sign that the, the injury in any sense forces her out of even one game. Yeah, agreed. I think clearly it's a little bit more than just a twisted ankle if she had to miss a game for it. I think we saw that, you know, in that game on Saturday, UConn's offense continued kind of, I mean, they didn't look as bad as they did against Tennessee, but it still looked out of sorts. And I think a big part of that is, I mean, also not having Anna, but not having Paige on the floor. It's just, there's one less scoring option and she's been running the offense quite a bit. And it was, I think her absence on that end of the floor was very obvious on Saturday, even though they were able to win easily. Right. And the offense in a vacuum necessarily might not have looked as bad as it did against Tennessee, but you also have to consider it's going up against Georgetown who was, if they weren't the worst team in the conference, they were tied for worst with Butler because both those teams only wins of the season came against each other. It, I mean, it, it ended up still being a blowout. It wasn't necessarily UConn's biggest win of the season, but it was still very comfortable. Yeah. It was really, really ugly. And I think, as Gino said, has said before, without Paige in the game, they have a completely different offense. And I think we saw that pretty clearly against Georgetown because it's still a 72-41 win, but com- just comparatively, 71 points isn't really a ton for UConn against a bad team. Also, every single basket honestly felt like they were pulling teeth just to get it. So the offense was very, very different without Paige. And then also, as you mentioned, Anna Makarat out for the foreseeable future indefinitely. We haven't gotten a timeline on how long she'll be out due to a lower right leg injury. And we don't really have a whole lot of info about that. All we know is that it happened in practice. At least we think it happened in practice. It's been bothering her for a couple weeks now, which again, another open-ended timeline, just kind of looking at her numbers from the last few games. She played 36 minutes against Providence. So it kind of feels like it wasn't an issue at that point if she played that many, but in her two games since then, she's played 36 minutes. So it seems like she heard it in that 10 day span between Providence and Butler. We don't know for sure, but Gino did say that she tried to play through it for a little bit and tried rehabbing it and just, it wasn't working. So they just wanted to shut her down to avoid any other major injury. So it doesn't seem like it's season ending or anything, but I also, and she was also walking on it against Georgetown. She was in some sort of stiff cast that wasn't quite a walking boot. It doesn't seem like it's necessarily super major, but I think it's also pretty concerning that we don't have any timeline at all for her. Yeah, agreed. It kind of makes you wonder if they're still trying to figure out exactly what's wrong or what's going on there, but without any timeline, it doesn't seem like she's going to be back anytime soon. So It'll be interesting. I mean, not, she hasn't had a play, played a huge role scoring for UConn, but I think offensively, her presence, just like the way she's helps them move the ball around and her also on the defensive end, I think it's a big blow. And she, she was playing 36 minutes a game. That's a lot of minutes. So, you know, when she hasn't been scoring the ball that great this year, I think it's, it's a big blow to the kind of the depth that this UConn team had. Right. And even though she hadn't been scoring well, she had only really played in seven games. If we're accounting that that injury happened after Providence. She'd only played in seven games, which is such a minuscule amount. I mean, they probably would have played seven games by, 
I don't even know when, at least the end of, or at least by Christmas break. So she would have already been way past that point. And there were signs that that shooting was starting to come around at the tail end and just to kind of highlight that offensive impact that she's had, even though she hasn't been scoring, she's fourth on the team with 34 assists. And that's two less than what Kristen Williams, or that's one less than what Kristen Williams has had even though Kristen has played in one more game, that's 10 less than Avina has had, even though Avina's played in one more game. So she's been a very critical piece of this offense, even though those shots haven't been falling. And I think something that I, maybe I'm just looking too far into it and didn't get a chance to ask Gino because it was a little inconsequential after the game. But when Paige came out of that Tennessee game with the injury and they the game goes on for a little bit and someone takes another timeout and Gino declines to put Paige back in, even though she's back on the sideline. When that didn't happen, Anna went into the game. And I have to think that without Paige on the floor, Gino thought that putting Anna in there would at least give them another distributor to kind of help fill that void and help the offense move a little more. So I think the fact that, you know, she hasn't, that she isn't going to be on the floor and Paige is also injured at the same time. That's just a very tough double whammy. And, it showed itself against Georgetown where the offense for some points of the game looked up a little bit like last year where they were just super stagnant and there wasn't a whole lot of movement going on. Right. And yeah, they only score 72 points, which seems like not that low, but it was their second lowest total of the season. The lowest was against Tennessee. And now you're talking about being against Georgetown. So Tennessee is the top 25 team. And then Georgetown, like we said, one of the worst teams in the Big East. So while 72 points isn't abysmal, it's definitely not a lot of points for UConn to be scoring against an opponent. I mean, they scored more against DePaul. They've scored more against every other Big East team. So definitely on the low end of the spectrum and like you said I think you know in isolation having Paige out or having Anna out is a blow to this team's offense but I think having the two of them out at the same time it just takes away some of that ball movement and that ability to distribute it on the offensive end that we've kind of seen when you have one or both of them on the floor. So I have the team stats up in front of me and I think the one stat that stands out for how Anna's season had gone to this point without an injury and where she, how she kind of played on offense. She has not attempted a free throw this year, not a single free throw. That is, that just shows that all of her shots were coming from outside the arc and she really wasn't doing a whole lot to get inside to begin with. Yeah. I didn't realize that, but that is pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's only seven games, so not a single free throw. And I feel like we've talked about the fact that we've really only seen her take three-point shots, but kind of just re-emphasize the fact that she's really only shot from outside. And we haven't really seen any of what we started to see from her towards the end of last season where she would drive inside more and go find make ways to make shots inside and really it's just been taking outside shots, which, I mean, partially is probably due to this the what there is on this team. There's a lot more scoring options. But it's still interesting that she hasn't, you know. Well, yeah, only 10 of her shots. She shot 41 shots on the season. Only 10 of those have come from inside the arc. So very heavy on the three-point shooting. But without Paige in the lineup, that meant Niga Mule got her first start. And we hadn't seen a ton of her this year because she had that ankle injury earlier in the year. She didn't play at all against Tennessee. She's been a bit of a mixed bag just because I think you can see what the coaching staff likes in her. She brings a lot of energy. She's very aggressive. She is just a very 
physical player that UConn doesn't really have in its backcourt. But her first points only came against Butler on last Tuesday. She hasn't been very efficient shooting the ball. She's shooting just 14% from the field. And a lot of those shots have come off layups. And she's shown that she can get to the rim, but she's having trouble finishing them. And to me, it just seems like the game might be moving a little bit too fast for her. And she's maybe thinking a little too much on the court and is just, she just seems to be a step behind everything. And maybe that's going to improve with every single game, but at least as of now, it it feels like this might be a little bit too big of a role for her to be in at least at this point in her career, only six games into her career. I mean, that's such a tiny amount. Right. But yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, we didn't see her against the Tennessee against Tennessee, which I think kind of spaced towards, you know, I think she's out there in this big game, they're down. She doesn't spend any time on the floor, but then she did play 35 minutes against Georgetown on Saturday, which is a huge chunk of minutes, obviously a lot of that due to the fact that both Paige and Anna are out. So they're looking for another guard to distribute on the court, but I kind of agree. I felt like she just wasn't like quite, quite there in that game. And that's against a team like Georgetown. She had just one assist and then five turnovers. So I feel like she just struggled a little bit with figuring out how to distribute the ball. And then obviously, like you said, hasn't scored the ball well and that continued on Saturday. She feels like the type of player that really, really would have benefited if UConn played on Monday or Tuesday, just without Paige or even with Paige, just to get another game under her belt and against a Big East opponent, someone that UConn would have won pretty easily against, where she could have been able to go out there and just play and not necessarily worry a whole lot about how mistakes might affect the team. Because, you know, you look ahead to their schedule and UConn announced after we recorded that they're going to play number 19 Arkansas on Thursday at Arkansas. And we already know Anna Makarat's out for that game. She's out indefinitely. Gino didn't really sound like it's going to be anytime soon that she'll be back. Paige, as I said, better chance than not that she plays. I would guess that she's going to play just speculating on my own. I don't have any inside info there at all. I would guess that she plays, but I don't think she's going to be able to go a full 40 minutes or I don't think the expectation can be that she's going to be at full strength by any means. So I think Nika's going to have to play a role against Arkansas. That's a big spot for a freshman who hasn't played a ton of minutes to step in and go. I mean, she has the fewest, the fourth fewest minutes on the team behind only autumn with 12 PF with 25 Mir with 79 and then Nika has 101. So really there hasn't, she hasn't had a ton of playing time and it's, those are just very bright lights for her to step into against Arkansas, especially when you consider that she didn't get any action against Tennessee. So she doesn't have that experience of playing in a big game. It again, it just really feels like it would have been a benefit for her if UConn could have had a game against someone like Xavier or St. John's in the lead up to this Arkansas game to help get her feet wet. Yeah, exactly, because now you're going to come into, you have to play in a game against a ranked opponent. It could be a tough game for UConn, and that and the fact that you're in an, also in an environment with fans, I believe they said that Arkansas is allowing up to 4,000 fans at the game on Thursday, which yeah, baffling, but whatever. Um, so <laughs> you're in an environment that you're not used to playing in because 
most schools are taking the smart route and not allowing fans. So um, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. It's a big stage for a freshman that has been struggling and hasn't played a ton of time to have to come into. Right. Like, I just having fans right now makes absolutely no sense for anything is to give the slightest of slight credit that I feel terrible kind of giving any credit for this, but I looked it up and Arkansas's arena is around like 20,000. So comparatively 4,000 isn't a whole lot, but like, I can't imagine the concourse is very big or the bathrooms are huge that it would necessarily be super, that it's super smart to have anyone. And whereas like, this just in Connecticut this past summer, Hartford Athletic, the second division soccer team that plays in Dillon Stadium, I think they had at most 40% capacity at their playoff game, but that's in an outdoor stadium. And the way the stadium's designed, there's just no concourses at all. So it's just all open air. I didn't go into any of the bathrooms at the game that I went to, so I couldn't speak to that. But still, like just an outside venue is so drastically different than inside. So I mean, at least UConn won't be surprised having played against fans at Tennessee, but it, yeah, it, like you said, it's just baffling that any health department in the state, or at least, I don't know, maybe the health department doesn't have as much power in Arkansas as it has in Connecticut, because I just can't imagine that there's a safe way to pull these type of things off. Yeah, it's just crazy to me. I mean, like you said, they they had fans in Connecticut in the summer, but it was the summer, so things were in a way better spot than they are right, right now. I, and it's yeah. outdoors. <laughs> right, I should have mentioned that, that the numbers were significantly better in the summer compared to where they are now. That is a very yeah. major factor in that point, too. Yeah, yeah, so that'll be interesting. But to get into the Arkansas game a little more, I think it is kind of funny. It seems like UConn has become a de facto member of the SEC or will become a de facto member of the SEC over these next couple of weeks with uh, Tennessee last week, Arkansas this week, and then South Carolina is coming up in a little bit as well. So lots of SEC opponents. And I think, as I said last week, DePaul is not a very good measure of a top 25 team. UConn has that formula figured out. Tennessee was a good test. And I think Arkansas is going to be another really good test in a completely different way than Tennessee. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, I think we've harped on this before, but one thing about like last year's team is we never really saw them play anyone that was in kind of like that middle range of teams. We basically saw them play the best of the best, which we'll hopefully get to see something like that in the South Carolina game. And then, you know, the AAC, which is just not, or the American, which is not any good measure of where UConn stands. So I think now adding this Arkansas game, it's kind of like the Tennessee game. It's a second game against that middle tier of teams in college basketball this year. It's, they're from the SEC. The SEC is probably the second best, maybe the best conference in college basketball this season. I feel like it's a toss-up between them and Pac-12. So you've got a team that's played a lot of tough opponents, so they're, con- they're ready to take on a team like UConn. And then, like you said, it's a test, but it's a very different test in Tennessee in that they're they're not a big team like Tennessee is side-wise. They're actually a pretty small team, but they're a fast team. I feel like their style of play like, is a little bit similar to DePaul and just that they like to play very quickly. Um, but really, it's like their backcourt duo of Destiny Slocum and Chelsea Dungey that's going to be the big challenge for you, I think, in this one. Wait, Destiny Slow comes at Arkansas? Yeah. <laughs> what is that, her third school? 
yeah, I believe it was her third school, but yeah, redshirt senior for Oregon. Yep, started at Maryland, then Oregon State, and now she's at Arkansas. Wow, I was completely unaware of that fact that she was at Arkansas. Wow, didn't UConn played her against Maryland as a freshman, right? I think so. I think they did. Um, wow, that that is a plot twist there. Yeah, I think UConn actually might benefit from playing a team that has that quick pace just because against Tennessee, that was basically – half court sets for each team, the entire game, there was very, very little in transition. And especially, I mean, I actually don't know if this benefits or hurts UConn with Paige Beckers, possibly having a bum ankle with a lot of running, but in general, UConn's offense has been better when it's been on the run. And I think if they can get out in transition more and it can be more of a track meet type of game, that probably does benefit UConn because it takes less pressure or it takes pressure off Beckers to have to run a half court offense. Whereas we see all the time, Kristen Williams can make those passes on the fast break. Avina Westbrook can make those passes on the fast break. Olivia Nelson, Adota can get out and run Aubrey Griffin. Very good in transition. You can bring someone like Mira McLean in off the bench and she's going to help with that. So I think, given the circumstances with UConn having Arkansas and also DePaul, which we haven't really talked about coming up on Sunday, it kind of feels like these two games might actually be coming at the perfect time. As long as that much running isn't going to be a huge detriment to Paige's ankle. Yeah, I would agree. I think they're going to be, you know, tougher games, but a, a style that favors UConn a little bit more like like with DePaul, Arkansas is not big. So hopefully they can kind of use this to get Olivia Nelson and Dota back into playing the type of games that we have been seeing from her. Obviously, she struggled against Tennessee, but can they feed her inside and kind of just take advantage of the paint like that? And then, like you said, running up and down the court, UConn's better in transition. Though I will say with Arkansas, as much as they are a fast paced team, they're also first in the country for the like the lowest turnover rate in the country so they don't turn the ball over often I mean that's partially due to that backcourt duo was an experienced duo they're going to take good care of the ball um so as much as it's a fast-paced game I don't know how UConn will get out in transition but I think I think it's going to be a good matchup for them I think you know they're Arkansas has really good guards but so does UConn and I think if Olivia Nelson Adota plays well UConn definitely has the advantage inside, so it should be an interesting game. Yeah, definitely, and I think it will be really important for UConn to get Olivia Nelson Adota right on the right track because after that Providence game, I know we said, is this just a matter of Olivia finally having a bad game after she's performed so well throughout most of the season, or did she struggle against someone with a little bit of size? And I think we get to the Tennessee game and. I still kind of feel the same way. Was Olivia bad because of Tennessee's size or did everybody on offense besides really Kristen and Avina have a bad night? It still doesn't feel like a great answer. And I don't know, maybe I'm just overthinking it too much. And Tennessee did show that or that Olivia isn't really where she can compete with those bigs at the top of the country, but at the same time, I feel like it just could be 
everyone was terrible on offense. And if you look at her stats, how many of those missed shots weren't from inside, but they were just from the perimeter and UConn couldn't get the ball inside to her. I feel like it's more complex than just saying, oh, Tennessee had size, Olivia struggled, connect the dots there. I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, I would agree because I think, well, part of why she struggled in that game was we saw her take all these shots from outside that she wouldn't normally take. And okay, so yeah, was going down but it's like well how many of those shots are shots you shouldn't really be taking which in itself is like okay was she struggling inside so she took those shots I don't really know but I think that's part of it and then yeah you kind of just didn't get the ball to her inside so I don't know that it was necessarily she couldn't face up with Tennessee's bigs inside I think she had a couple of nice takes inside when you kind of got the ball into her um but we just didn't really see that happen a lot and part of that was that you kind of in general just went more with the outside and mid-range game in that game and didn't really go inside that much. And then part of it was Olivia taking shots from where she wouldn't normally take shots. So I don't, I feel like I'm still on the fence about where she stands. I don't know that she's, you know, not able to play with the best bigs in the country. We just still haven't seen her do it. So with that being said, besides Paige and her ankle, who do you think UConn needs the most to have a big game against Arkansas to avoid getting upset? I think Kristen Williams, again, I'm looking for her to have another game like she did at Tennessee. Hopefully her shots fall a little bit more, but just where she likes looks to take over uh, the game and really kind of has a, that strong presence on the court that we've been harping on and we finally saw last week. I think I might actually go with Olivia just kind of for the reasons you just said, but if UConn can get the ball inside to her and she can just dominate then that completely changes how their offense looks because that was one of the biggest problems against Tennessee was they couldn't get it inside. So if they can get it inside and have at least a consistent source of offense down there, I think that really opens up the game for everyone else, including Kristen Williams, Avina Westbrook. And especially if Paige is limited, that is going to be something that they really, really need to rely on to be able to score points. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, especially because, like I said, Arkansas is not a big team. So if they can feed into Olivia and she can kind of dominate in the paint, I think it's going to be kind of easy for her to take care of business in the paint. And then if they start double teaming her in the paint, leave someone else open outside to create more shots. So I think, you know, if she has a good game inside, this one probably won't be that hard for UConn. Well, it's going to be a year earlier than expected, but this is also going to be Kristen Williams' homecoming game. And they do have... Little Rock scheduled next year. Gino didn't sound overly optimistic that that was going to happen today. So this will be at least one chance for Kristen Williams to have a homecoming. And at least for me personally, it's unbelievable that we're already at a point where we're discussing homecomings for someone like Kristen Williams, who I don't mean this in a bad way, but eternally feels like a sophomore or a freshman to me just because I think she came in when I was a junior at UConn. So it's just a little uncomfortable to think about. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you're old like me that everyone seems like <laughs> so much younger. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All I know that it seems weird that we're already talking about her homecoming games. <laughs> well, we're going to unveil a new segment here just to look ahead quickly to the DePaul game. Megan, is this going to be the game that DePaul finally beats UConn on Sunday? <laughs> no, don't see it happening. And that'll do it for our new segment. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> UConn, at least 
they won't have Anamakra. They will have someone new on the sideline. Sailor Poffenbarger, finally out of quarantine. Practice with the team today. It didn't sound like UConn had a very long practice from what Gino said today, but she will be a body on the bench that they can use theoretically. I, it didn't sound like she was going to do anything anytime soon, but I do, I do think it is good that she's finally with the team. Apparently she had been able to do some workouts before, but you know, we talked about it so much last episode. It's just so weird that here comes a player they're coming this weekend, but you have to wait almost two weeks for her to even show up at, at all. Yeah, I guess just the way things are this year, but yeah, she's finally with the team. So that's obviously a good sign practicing with the team. Um, I will be shocked if we see any minutes from her on Thursday. I guess maybe if UConn wins it handedly, we might see from some for her at the end, but I think it's probably still going to be a little bit before we see her on the floor, especially being, you know, the next two games are Arkansas and then DePaul. You don't have like a, you know, a Georgetown or something like that coming up right away. Right. That's also what I was thinking, because if it is a blowout, I don't really think there's any harm in just throwing her out on the court and letting her do whatever. But it's also tough because you go from Arkansas and then you fly back on Friday. I imagine there's not going to be or I don't even know if they're going to fly back to UConn. They might just they'll probably just fly straight out to Chicago because that's a road game on Sunday. So at most. Oh, it's a Sunday game. I was thinking it was a Saturday game. I don't know what their schedule will be. I find a, find it hard that they'd fly back for one day and then fly out to Chicago just after. But either way, I don't imagine they're going to have a ton of practice time in between Arkansas and DePaul. So it's not like she's going to really get a whole lot of court time to prove herself at any point until next week. So yeah, it will be good for UConn to get another blowout in just to be able to get around the court for the first time. But the bright side is UConn does have a pretty solid, you know, red hour back lighting up his cigar type end of the bench situation that you can now throw into games where you've got Piaf Gabriel, who usually goes in just a little bit before Autumn Chasson. And then Autumn goes into at the end of those games. And now you've got a third player that you're going to be able to put in there and see what they can do. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I guess it's something to look forward to when they're winning by, you know, 30, 40 points or whatever. We'll get to see kind of a first look at her and what she's going to look like. And I think it has way more of an impact on next year's team than this year's, but it still would be good to get that first look at her. Because we all know there's not much else to watch in the fourth quarter of those games. (laughs) (laughs) So just a few closing thoughts first. Jordan Walker attempting to fight Aaliyah Edwards. 2021 hasn't been going on very long, but that's still got to be one of the dumbest decisions of the year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Also, I was browsing Reddit the other day, and I apparently... Apparently, there's a conspiracy theory that a county in Ireland called Leitrim doesn't exist. So that got me thinking... I'm fully convinced that East Windsor does not exist in Connecticut. There's no way that's a town. Also, I'm not super sure that anyone in the Pac-12 except Stanford and Oregon exists. And I'm confident that USC 100% does not exist. USC is not a real thing. Everyone else, maybe I could be talked into, but USC, no way. (laughs) Well, someone that watches a bit of UCLA basketball, I'll, I'll argue oh, not with UCLA. you on that Damn one. But, I meant USC. But 
No, you said USC. I was still saying. Oh, I did say you. USC. Okay. There are other teams in the Pac-12 that exist, but I haven't watched any USC this year. So. Okay, fine. Stanford, <laughs> Oregon, and UCLA. There's three teams that exist. The others are just shadow teams that are that their only purpose is to play those other teams, but they're not real college teams. You cannot prove otherwise. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to like make a decision. If the upset about that, they should make their games a little bit more accessible. <laughs> so, <laughs> Look, if you had real teams to play, you would make those games more accessible. The Pac- like, Actually, the Pac-12 network just doesn't exist. They say <laughs> that games are on the Pac-12 network. That's just one of the ways that they hide the fact that most of that conference doesn't exist. But, like, There's Do you like know anybody that has... Pac- yeah, well, I haven't, but that's because I'm extra. But yeah, like it's it's like very difficult to get. And there's also like 15 different Pac-12 networks. It's not like the, I feel like it seems like the Pac-12 network is like one thing, but it's not. There's like 15 different channels. There's like Pac-12 Network LA and Pac-12 Network Oregon and Pac-12 Network Arizona. And sometimes you can only get some of them, even if you have like the overall network. I don't know. It's very confusing. Like I said, the web of conspiracy <laughs> just continues. Pac-12, you can get the Pac-12 network, but not necessarily get every single game. That's not suspicious at all. I'm just saying. So, yes, no way the Pac-12 exists. There's just three teams floating out on the West Coast that pretend to be in a conference and have tricked everyone else into that fact, too. I'm just saying. You, Like I said, you cannot prove me wrong on this. <laughs> I'd like to make a disclaimer that I'm not actually serious here in case anyone wants to say anything. I feel like I need to put that out there. Anyways, <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Conley. You can't follow the Pac-12 on Twitter because it doesn't exist. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show because it does exist. Also, tell your friends, subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, read the UConn blog and store central. Megan, what do you got to close us out? Um, just keep wearing a mask and stay safe, everyone. That'll do it. <laughs>